I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the revised edition of Episode 1 in the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lord's Prayer, Phrase by Phrase. As part of the AIC celebration of the start of our second decade on the web, this edition includes enhanced cross-references to other AIC resources available in video, podcast, and print media, all accessible on demand through links on the digital library page or through the virtual bookstore link, all of them at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The opening and closing music for the series is the first verse of Jesus, Lover of My Soul, written by one of the church's most prolific hymn writers, Charles Wesley, in 1740. It is arranged to the Welsh tune Aberystwyth, composed by Joseph Perry in 1789 A.D., and ably performed on his church organ in England by Richard M.S. Irwin. I thank Richard for granting permission for its use. He makes his music available for parishes without an organist through his dedicated webpage, https colon slash slash play dot hymnswithoutwords.com. See the terms and conditions on the site. The objectives of this series, like that of all our online videos, podcasts, and publications, are first, to provide traditional Christian teaching from an Anglican perspective, presented primarily for the average layperson with minimal use of technical and theological language, and second, as a guide for the continued development of the viewer's understanding of the ancient concept of Christian spirituality. For more on Christian spirituality, its scriptural basis, and how it can be used to develop and enhance anyone's personal prayer habits, see the AIC publication, Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective, available at our virtual bookstore at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The Lord's Prayer is known by several names. In the Anglican and in mainstream Western Protestant traditions, it is called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord in the title refers not to God the Father, but to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who offered the prayer in answer to the request of one of the disciples to, quote, teach us to pray in Luke 11, verse 1. Its form and content match advice he had given the disciples. This understanding is continued in the Holy Communion Liturgy in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer with these words, And now, as our Savior Jesus Christ has taught us, we are bold to say. The illustration for this and most of the slides in the series is the Lord's Prayer, an opaque watercolor and charcoal over gray wove paper by James Tissot from his Life of Christ series, painted between 1886 and 1894, and now in the collection at the Brooklyn Museum. A group of disciples are seated facing Jesus, who is shown in the modern style, standing. 
The gospel accounts suggest that on occasions where details are provided, that it was Jesus, following the Hebrew traditional style, who was seated while the listeners stood. For Roman Catholics, it is more accurately called the Our Father, or in Latin, Pater Noster, following the Roman Catholic and Anglican prayer book traditions of naming prayers after their first words in Latin. Similarly, for Russian Orthodox Christians, it is called the Achnasha, the opening words in Old Church Slavonic, also meaning Our Father. In Greek Orthodox churches, it is called the Pater Imon. Many other Eastern languages have similar adaptations based upon the opening words in their own language. Many scholars believe that the original text of the Lord's Prayer, as reported by St. Matthew, was composed in Aramaic, one of the most common languages in the Holy Land at the time of Christ. No original manuscripts survive written in Aramaic. All later copies were written in Koine Greek, often called New Testament Greek, and also in all surviving copies of St. Luke's version. There are two texts of the Lord's Prayer. They are generally called the long form and the short form. The long form version, the most commonly used version, and the one used in the later phrase-by-phrase reading and commentary in this series is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, using the version printed in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The short-form version is found in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. In the Anglican worship tradition going back to 1549, both the long and short forms have been used. The first printed Anglican liturgy in English, Litany, published in 1544 A.D., and the Holy Communion liturgy in the first Book of Common Prayer, published in 1549 A.D., used only the short-form text based on St. Luke's Gospel. The timing of the speaking of the Lord's Prayer differs in the two Gospels. St. Matthew presents it as a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. St. Luke presents it as occurring much later, after the parable of the Good Samaritan and after Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha in Bethany just before Palm Sunday. St. Luke's version is also shorter and is addressed only to the disciples. It is also more clearly meant as the prayer to be used by all Christians. The two gospel accounts of the Lord's Prayer are discussed in two AIC bookstore publications. First, the Gospel of Matthew, Annotated and Illustrated, which includes on page 59 in chapter 6 a rarely seen early 13th century illumination of Jesus teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer. And in the Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, the Lord's Prayer is discussed in chapter 11. Both books are available using the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. 
The Lord's Prayer has been used in nearly every Christian liturgy since the first century. In Anglican prayer book worship, it is generally used only once in a complete liturgy. The exception is in the optional combination of morning prayer and Holy Communion when it can occur at the option of the minister twice. In some parishes, it is not read when it appears for the second time following immediately after the canon of the Mass. In other parishes, the opening use in page 67 of the 1928 Book of Common Prayer is omitted and the version before the canon of the Mass is used. For more, see the Canon of the Mass on pages 33 to 35 in Layman's Lexicon, available using the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The two most distinctive characteristics of the Lord's Prayer, whether in the form used by St. Matthew or that used by St. Luke, are its brevity and its universality. An explanation for its shortness is found only in the Gospel of St. Matthew, which is known for its negative characterization of the Pharisees, especially their public demonstrations of self-declared piousness. Before offering them the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer, Jesus said this to the disciples in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go to your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. The recommendation for brevity refers to its use in personal prayer. In church tradition, it is not applied to organized church liturgies in which responses are often repeated to emphasize a word or a phrase such as, Lord, have mercy upon us. Brevity does not mean that in personal prayers, for instance, when prayer for the sick and the infirm and for persons with medical issues, the prayer can be as long as is necessary. In the previously mentioned AIC bookstore publication, Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective, I discuss personal prayer habits, including regular use of the Lord's Prayer, in detail in Part 4 of that work. The second characteristic of the Lord's Prayer is its universality. The Lord's Prayer can be said at any time, whether day or night in any place, whether at home or at work, consistent with the limitation of not doing it conspicuously in order to impress others, and can be used by anyone without regard to age or gender. In the Anglican worship tradition, when the Lord's Prayer is said in a liturgy, it is always spoken by the clergy and the people simultaneously.
the practice in some denominations of the people responding with only the final verse using the long form found in the Gospel of St. Matthew is a modern practice that should be discouraged since it denies the people the opportunity to participate in this common prayer. Before starting the phrase-by-phrase commentary on the Lord's Prayer, I call your attention to the literary structure of the Lord's Prayer, that is, how it is organized. For this course, I have divided the Lord's Prayer into three distinct parts based upon their function. Part one is the opening statement or introduction, which includes two phrases. Part two is the six petitions. Part three is the doxology, which is not included in the short-form version found in the Gospel of St. Luke. Each of these phrases and parts will be discussed based upon the text in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The illustration is one of several sets of a wall of plaques with translations of the Lord's Prayer into modern languages, five in this example at the Church of Paternoster, an early 20th century Roman Catholic church on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, which was built on the foundations of an early 4th century Byzantine church constructed during the reign of Constantine, the first Christian emperor. The Mount of Olives is the location traditionally associated with St. Matthew's account of the first speaking of the Lord's Prayer. The first of two phrases in the introduction is Our Father. In the introduction to this model prayer, Jesus effectively grants, for the first time in Scripture, permission for the faithful to address God as Father rather than by any of the many formal names used by the Hebrews, such as El Shaddai, roughly translated as God Almighty, or Adonai Sabaoth. Lord God of hosts. In another broader sense, it tells Christians who God is, our Father and Jesus' Father, the Creator God. The phrase also reflects the traditional Christian understanding of the faithful as, quote, children of God, as John put it in 1 John 3, verse 1. St. Paul called it adoption by grace in Ephesians 1.5. Both concepts, God as our Father and the faithful as his children by adoption, confused the traditional Hebrews who thought of the patriarch Abraham as their father. Their relationship with God was more formal. For example, Hebrews were not permitted to speak the name of God. Even the temple priests had to use the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, in liturgies as a placeholder for the unspeakable name of God. For more on the traditional Hebrew names of God and their understanding of the meaning of Father, see the Nicene Creed on pages 10 through 14 in Beliefs of the Anglican Church, You can also watch episode one and episode two of the eight episodes in the AIC Christian Education video series, The Nicene Creed, with episodes linked from the digital library page. 
and the entries ABBA on page 1 and the entry for the Tetragrammaton YHWH on page 243 of Layman's Lexicon, available using the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. For more evidence of their understanding of their relationship to God, see their reaction to Jesus' I Am declaration, Before Abraham Was, I Am, reported by St. John in John 8, verses 52 to 58, and which is discussed in detail in episode 32 and episode 33 in the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels, with episodes available from the Bible Study New Testament page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The second of two phrases in the introduction is, Who art in heaven, or which art in heaven in the King James Version? With these words, Jesus tells us where God lives. The Hebrews believed that heaven is the place where God resided when he was not sitting on the mercy seat in the tabernacle. Christians continued this understanding in the development of liturgical worship built upon the Hebrew tradition. The only glimpse we have in Scripture of that heavenly throne is found in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6, verses 2 through 6. This is the heaven in which Christians believe the righteous, after the particular judgment, shall dwell between their death and the second coming, or the general judgment. Part 2 of the Lord's Prayer is the six petitions, the first of which is, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is a very old-fashioned word that is difficult for modern minds to comprehend fully. There is no exact single word equivalent in modern English. The book of Psalms does offer two examples which illustrate its meaning. The first is Psalm 29 verses 1 and 2 again using the text from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. Ascribe to the Lord, O ye mighty, ascribe to the Lord worship and strength. Ascribe unto the Lord the honor due unto his name. Worship the Lord with holy worship. The second instructive psalm on the meaning of Hallowed is Psalm 99, verses 1, 2, 3, and 9, again using the 1928 Book of Common Prayer text, which also offers further enlightenment on the second phrase of the introduction, which is coming in a moment, Who art in heaven, and a glimpse into the meaning of the second petition, Thy kingdom come. The Lord is King, be the people never so impatient, He sitteth between the cherubim, be the earth never so unquiet. The Lord is great in Sion, and high above all people. They shall give thanks unto thy name, which is great, wonderful, and holy. O magnify the Lord our God, and worship him upon his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Whether in Anglican corporate worship, in which we speak as one voice to the Lord, or in personal prayer, 
Hallowing his name means showing him respect and honor, and further, acknowledging that only he is sovereign, and that the faithful are the petitioners who remain subject to his mercy. Another word which expresses the same idea is Alleluia, a Hebrew word which literally means praise to the Lord. The second of the six petitions is Thy Kingdom Come. If you say the Lord's Prayer too fast, you risk missing the understanding that in these three words the faithful are acknowledging their understanding that the day of judgment is coming when Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is more completely stated in the Nicene Creed's phrase, and he shall come again to be our judge. This idea is expressed another way by St. John in the turning point verse in Revelation, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The third petition is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this phrase, Jesus tells us that God is Lord of all, both in heaven and on earth. One of the titles of God expresses the same idea, Lord God Almighty, from the Greek Antocrator. In many Greek versions of the Lord's Prayer, the order of earth and heaven is reversed. In the broader sense, it means that it is God's will, not the will of man, that will prevail. In Anglican prayers and in Anglican forms of the Catechism, we acknowledge that we must rely upon him for all things. A helpful guide to this understanding is the Trisagion prayer, one of the oldest liturgies in the Christian tradition, and regrettably, which is not often used in Anglican worship. It is used regularly in both the Eastern Church and in the Roman Catholic traditions. In, in that prayer, said jointly by the priests and the people, all acknowledge that God is holy, that he is mighty, or in Western terms, almighty, and that his power is unlimited, and that he is immortal. At the end of the prayer is the petition, Have mercy upon us. For more on the broader meaning and scriptural sources of mercy and the related term fear of the Lord, see mercy slash merciful, pages 144 to 146, and fear of the Lord, pages 76 to 77 in layman's lexicon, or in shorter form, mercy and fear of the Lord, pages 80 to 83 in the beliefs of the Anglican Church both available in paperback and Kindle versions at our virtual bookstore at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Other AIC resources mentioned in this episode can be accessed on demand 24-7 from our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. You can watch this and other videos 
in the Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video categories from either the Bible study page or the digital library page. If you prefer, you can listen to podcast versions of all our videos using links on the podcast archive page and podcast homilies based upon readings in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer from the links on the podcast homilies page. Or you can acquire and read any AIC bookstore publication using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The link takes you to my Amazon Author Central page, where nearly all our books are available either in paperback or Kindle editions. The dedicated direct link is https colon slash slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. All the words after dot com must be in lowercase only. Please be assured that 100% of all book royalties are contributed to the AIC. Thank you for joining me for Episode 1. In Episode 2, the focus is on the remaining three petitions, the doxology, and some summary remarks. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.